Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Doctors take Field of Greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food, not enough exercise. That's why I take Field of Greens. The fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 242. If you like Civilization games, try out these other games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. <laughs> We're just trying to be a little more proper and a little more pronounced, so to speak, because it is Board Gamers Anonymous talking about the latest and greatest in board games. And Anthony, good etiquette should always follow. And, you know, board gaming is no different. You are coming to the table, so you must treat your audience and the people at your table with a certain decorum of respect. So when you crush them later, they don't feel so bad about it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like every week and so I don't know if we've ever actually had a feature on this, but every week, most of our stories before we start recording come down to discussing our recent plays and all the stuff we dealt with and, you know, the people we're playing with who are our friends, of course, but frequently there's stories about, oh, this guy did this or this happened or I tried to do this and everybody got mad about it. <laughs> and it often doesn't make it into the show because a lot of these people listen to the show but also just because it doesn't necessarily fit our topic. It's an interesting subject, though, like how you should act versus how you should not act when you're playing board games. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there there is the challenges of playing competitive games, especially competitive games that take a very long time. And in doing so, you make friends, but there's always the challenge of losing friends and the challenge of just really getting people upset over chits on the table. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, and you start to learn what people's triggers are in different groups based on, you know, their personality and the types of games you've played and everything else. 
but it's always really weird when you play with somebody new or somebody you don't know as well and they just lose their everything over something that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to you even though mm-hmm. presumably it is to them <laughs> it happens all the time yeah it reminds me way way back this is super old and dated but there was a comic that i remember seeing like in the old like highlight comics and stuff it was like goofus and gallant like the things that are bad to do and the things that are good to do or i think even a, probably a more a little bit more updated version was i think animaniacs used to have episodes where it was like a good idea a bad idea good idea yeah <laughs> surprise party for your father yes surprise party for your grandfather yay ah, you know so i mean there are definitely some situational things so to speak to play but yeah it's it's a challenge and you know a lot of our gaming comes at the table and usually typically it comes with either us or someone else teaching the game so it does make the situation more dynamic you're not coming in cold you are coming in typically presenting or hosting a game situation typically for several hours either at a game night or someone's house so what you do how you do it how you play and how you uh, conduct yourself are extremely important and every once in a while you can lose your cool because you forget for a second that it's just a game yep and it happens to everybody like it's, it's happened to me too and frequently it doesn't last very long at least in my case where somebody does something to me that's not just mean you know it's in the spirit of the game they're doing something that you're supposed to do but it feels targeted it feels personal yeah and you can't help but get angry about it and you just kind of have to swallow that and push it aside and not become that guy who just attacks people and there are those people who for whatever reason if you hit them in a game they're just going to hit you back and Mm. then do it 90 more times for the duration of the game yeah that's true and I try not to be that guy if I can help it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges to gaming, a lot of fun things to gaming. And, you know, maybe we should circle around to this in a later episode. We can talk more about dealing with and conducting yourself at the game table and how to be a good host and all those great things. And generally what happens when you play a game and you're winning and you become, you know, enemy number one at the table or someone becomes a kingmaker and how that kind of plays out the table, or if you're playing a very long game or a very complex game, how those things are very different in comparison to a short, quick game or a werewolf game. And like the funny thing too, is like you've always got that person and certain things are okay in some situations and not in others. So there's always that person who says, oh, a new game and I'm learning the rules. Let me try this weird thing and see what happens. Mm. And if the game's 45 minutes long, great, cool. Now we learned how the game works. If the game's four hours long, you're just like, no, just just do the normal thing. Don't break it. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) There's certain times for certain things, certain times for others. Yeah. And it's always good, you know, when people come to the table and it's not the best situation possible or the best teaching situation, or somebody makes a grievous error, I try to, you know, just chalk it up as a variant. So, ah, yeah. You know, you know, that deck of cards that we didn't think we needed yeah that's supposed to play a key role in literally everything we're doing and just you're just like looking at each other like all right <laughs> what do we do now and like <laughs> you, you just played a variant you did an unintended variant there's there needs to be a name for that i think we should come up with some sort of topic that kind of fits that role when you when you get stuck playing a variant but nonetheless there is so much great board gaming out there so anthony we will definitely have to come back to this because each and every week it is a thing at the table 
And there is just a lot of fun stories to kind of get into that. But that's what's going on with us. Let's talk about what's going on with our listeners, Anthony. What's our question of the week? All righty, guys. Question of the week this week. What game would you like to see get a 2.0 update or a reimagining with a new theme? And this is always an interesting question. I feel like we've asked it in the past, but it's fun to go back to occasionally and just see what new stuff people come up with. So we got a few good answers here. Uh, Terraforming Mars Collector's Edition which anybody who likes Terraforming Mars says this repeatedly. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. I'm looking forward to replacing all of the money I spent on Terraforming Mars in a brand new version. <laughs> yes, right. I'd love to spend another 100 and blah, 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 blah on this game. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it's going to come eventually. We all know it will because it will print money when it does, especially in the current climate of older games getting reprints that are $100 and $150. It's going to happen. Uh, we'll just see how long it takes them to do it. Uh, Jason mentions he'd like to see a game like Descent reskinned as a sci-fi or post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. game. So we have three versions of Descent now, I think. We've got Descent, Doom, and Imperial Assault. And then I guess kind of Journeys in Middle-Earth has got a little bit of Descent mixed in there as well. So... I don't know that Fantasy Flight's ever going to do anything again that's not an IP, but we can all hold out hope, right? Yeah. Chris mentioned Defenders of the Realm, yeah. and then you, Chris, said that it's it's on the way, right? Yeah, I think we were both told, not this past year, but the previous year, that one of the heads of Eagle Griffin Games said that there was supposed to be a Defenders of the Realm legacy version coming out this year. It hasn't come out yet. <laughs> And it doesn't look to come out. <laughs> no, I, we don't know what happened with it. And I think technically that was off the record, even though he didn't say so, because it was so far down the line. But I mean, we've mentioned it before, so whatever. Wow, it's, we're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, what are you going to do? It's it's board games. No game in sight, though. Like, I've, I've heard other rumors of a 2.0, which isn't really mm-hmm. a legacy. We'll, we'll see what they do with it. Uh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, anything, really. Any update that makes it look nicer would be great. <laughs> Uh, Chris mentioned World of Warcraft, which I think would be cool because they did revisit the Starcraft board game and they were brought it back as Forbidden Stars. So take the World of Warcraft engine and retheme it with whatever. I don't know, some other IP. Uh, that'd be kind of cool to see. And then we had El Grande from Eric over on Twitter. So I think, and now this game did finally come back in print after, I don't know, 20 years or whatever it was. And you famously, Chris, yes. predicted it. And uh-huh. rubbed it in Drew's face a for bit. the better part of a year. Yeah, well, you know, it took 20 years for it to be reprinted. So I get 20 years to rub it in his face, right? That's how that works. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they did that thing that some of these companies do where they're like, we reprinted our game. And they literally just reprinted their game. So it would have been cool if they'd updated it like a lot of these other older games are being updated. But they did not do that. So maybe somewhere down the line we'll see that so anyways those are a few games uh we'd like to see or our listeners would like to see 2.0 updates or revisions of anything in particular that you would have your eye on well i know a lot of the days of wonder games could really use a reprint or a 2.0 version as you mentioned because days of wonder since they've been taken over by asmo day they kind of faded you know away from the general public one of the games that I'm still a very big fan of and but unfortunately hasn't seen a lot of table time would probably be Small World. Now, when most people look at it, it's very cutesy. It's that fantasy theme. It's 
And it's generally the idea that you have a civilization that has special abilities and special rate qualities to it. And then they go out, they fight, they expand, they explore, they do all the four X's possible. And then eventually they kind of retire and you get a whole brand new race. And that's really a lot of fun. And you, in fact, have to build your strategy on how those different races and special abilities kind of chain together. I would love to see an updated version of this. I know they had the Uber super expensive collector's edition, but maybe a space version of this, like, you know, Clank went from medieval to space. So maybe small world can go to small planet and we could see a lot of those alien tropes come into play. I think that would be a lot of fun and just kind of re-innovate a really, really great game that has not seen table time in quite some time. Yeah, no, that'd be really cool, actually, because Small Worlds, I, I always wanted to get into it because you always talk so highly of it, and I just really never did. For me, I would like to see Civilization A New Dawn get, I guess expansions would be nice, and it sounds like those are possible down the line based on recent comments by Fantasy Flight's uh, CEO. But just taking that card mechanic, how you choose your actions on that track, and re-implementing that in a bigger, heavier game with a lot more stuff around mm-hmm. it, is really what I like to see. Like a true 4X game, not just like Civilization and New Dawn feels like 4X, like Tapestry felt like 4X. It's like the 4Xs are in there, but a couple of them are a little phoned in. And I'd love to see it just blown out into a big epic three or four hour 4X game. And whatever theme you want, I don't care. <laughs> just, I really like that core mechanic. And I like 4X games. We're going to talk about some today. And that would be really cool to see that re-implemented or expanded in a way that makes it, you know, replayable to a degree but also just much more interesting absolutely all right so that's everything that our listeners are talking about anthony let's do it my friend let's get into our acquisition disorders all right yeah so i'm going to talk about a game that i actually have technically played although i'm not 100 percent sure how properly we played it uh this is irish gauge from capstone games and it's actually an older game that was released way back in the day i think 2014 as a winsome game, which we actually played one of these. I don't think it was this one, but who knows? It could have been this one uh, um, with our buddy um, Chris back at my apartment in Brooklyn in possibly 2014, maybe 2015. One of those baggy games that came out of Essen. So this and those were very expensive, by the way, they're very difficult to get. This, however, is a, an updated version by uh, Capstone with artwork by Ian O'Toole. So it is automatically the prettiest looking uh, train game you'll ever see because it has art <laughs> and design on it. it. It is also only, I think, $40. So it is well within like the affordable range for a game that is only about an hour long. Um, and it, what I like about it from what little I've experienced from it and the reason I'm interested in it and might pick it up is it introduces all the ideas that eventually become the 18 double X genre. So it has stocks. You don't necessarily own a rail line, but you can buy stocks in different ones. It has roots as you build your trains out and it has different mechanics that will help you collect dividends and score points, which is really just the money you generate. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to auction off one share from each of the five companies. And then you are going to uh, take turns based on which of those auctions you won and build trains and you're trying to connect cities to towns to other places on the map and then when you choose or when someone else chooses and draws cubes from the bag you will take dividends based on the color of cubes taken so if you connect a 
city with a black cube to a city with a pink cube and somebody draws a pink and black cube, you will score both of those cities as four points each. And then two points for every empty town that doesn't have a cube yet. So, uh, and I say points, but really it's just money that you can use for future auctions. The game flows really, really quickly. Uh, and it really seems like it's going to depend on like diversifying your stocks, which makes sense, of course. It doesn't have a lot of those other mechanics that you expect in a heavier game, like selling your stocks or you know manipulating the market or merging companies or anything like that. You're really just trying to get stocks in a few different companies and maximize your return on those things. So the auction's a pretty big chunk of it, and then the root building's a pretty big chunk of it. But it's really short, too, and I really like that. So I really want to get another chance to play this and just explore the different ways it works. Um, the one quasi-play that I had, which was a full play, to be fair, I just felt like some of us got it, some of us didn't, and you know there was some running away with the score because of that. Uh, I'd like to see how that plays out uh, over the course of a few different plays because of how short it is. So Irish Gage is a game I have my eye on. This is apparently the first in a series of games that Capstone's going to do in their Iron Rail series. So I'm excited for that as well because it's it's just cool to see train games in a format that I don't mind looking at. So <laughs> uh, this is definitely one I'm going to track down in the future and give another go. So that is Irish Gage. Man, it's really surprising what a little bit of artwork and a little bit of design does for a board game. Oh my God, it looks so much better. And I know that like the train people love their spreadsheets and their hand-drawn maps, but you can't say this doesn't look better. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it, it does something for the gameplay too. I mean, it allows for a more immersive kind of experience and just sometimes a little more clear gameplay. I mean, it's not just about the form. It really is about the function. So being able to follow the game or look down and, and through a quick glance, know where your position is for the game does make a big difference and does speed the game up. I mean, those 18 double X games, I understand that there is a certain aesthetic to it. And I understand that those players know that aesthetic and eat it up. But I think for everybody else, it's a little foreign. It's a little crazy and, th and that's coming from like some pretty hardcore euro gamers that play spreadsheets for fun so you know if, if we have a problem with it everybody else is gonna have a serious serious issue with this all right so i'm gonna talk about an expansion that comes at no surprise to anybody and especially obviously here talking about fantastic artwork i am talking about wingspan european expansion now Everybody knows pretty much about Wingspan. I really don't have to talk much about it, but maybe I should mention that Wingspan is now number 33 on Board Game Geek's top 100 games or endless top billion games of all time. So uh, Wingspan continues to rise. Not terribly surprising. I think Anthony and I have gone back and forth about how high it will eventually and where it will eventually land. But now Stonemaier Games has come up with an expansion and it is a European expansion, so to speak, because it's including all of the birds of Europe. So what you're going to find in this expansion, as I mentioned, is all these beautiful, rare, regal and very different birds from Europe. And they're going to come along with a number of different special abilities that we haven't seen before. In particular, there's going to be these blue special abilities, which are going to be round end abilities. There's also going to be abilities that are going to allow you to steal 
from other players. So there'll be a lot more interaction in the game. And then birds that benefit from excess cards or food, which are great because sometimes I have played games with like just a ton of food. I'm like, well, this was not helpful. So this expansion tries to address some of the unintentioned consequences of some really amazing combinations that you get to the table that while they do score a number of points, they do also produce a lot of other stuff that you'd like to be able to utilize or slow down some other players in the game. This is kind of a fantastic idea because it doesn't add too much more to the game. So a lot of it's more of the same, but it does add some triggering mechanisms that happen at the end of a particular round, which wasn't there before. And as I said before, utilizing more of the food and more of the eggs are great. In addition, it comes with 15 purple eggs, and we always like to see purple in the game. So 15 purple eggs, extra tokens, a new score plan, and, uh, you know, there's going to have, of course, more multiplayer gaming. And for those of you out there that are solo gamers, there's even single player scoring in this game as well. So... I think this is going to be another expansion that's going to get completely consumed. So so if you love Wingspan and you played it out, obviously this is the expansion you've been waiting for. Yep, going to get it. Looks good. I One of my friends pointed out that it's kind of disappointing that they went with Europe when there's so many unique and interesting birds in other on other sure. continents. But I don't see why we can't also get all those other continents eventually. So I'm fine with this. Yeah, I think they just went with european market because that's what people like to see and they can see and obviously playing this game with so many bird lovers they just love to regale you with stories of actually having seen these birds in real life so i I think that's in part what they're trying to do with the european boards but i'm actually looking for maybe some sort of like arctic kind of expansion you know something yeah yes penguins you're the penguin (laughs) (laughs) Actually, in fact, if you go to the Wingspan Facebook group, I posted a picture of an eagle along with a a Klingon bird of prey, which is a spaceship for those of you who don't know Star Trek. And they both have very similar shapes in flight. And it has something like 150 likes because I'm like, hey, how about this for an expansion? Everyone was like, yes. And I had no idea (laughs) that there was a crossover between bird lovers and Star Trek fans, but there is. So (laughs) you might want to check that out as well. All right, Anthony. So that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Let's get on to the games that hit the table this week. So for our at the table this week, we're going to let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs. Or if those games are a dreaded burn and you should just roast it, it is not going to get any time at our table. So, Anthony, what do you have for us this week? Okay, so this is a game I picked up at Gen Con and I I played it a little bit, but I didn't get a ton of time with it until recently when it hit the store shelves locally. And some people were asking about it, but nobody was buying it. And I volunteered that I own the game and now it's gotten some decent play. This is a game that I feel like should be much more exciting and people should be jumping at, especially with the kind of games that have been jumped at lately, like Azul and Photosynthesis and Sagrada. And I mentioned Sagrada because this game, Bosk, was designed by Daryl Andrews, who also worked on Sagrada, and Erica Boyaris of Floodgate Games, who published Sagrada. So 
it is a game of trees in national parks growing, sprouting leaves, leaving those leaves, and ideally capturing as much attention as possible. And in the great you know, tradition of games about nature being incredibly cutthroat and mean, we have Bosk. So this is an area control game in most ways, and you will be doing a lot of things that make other people angry. So <laughs> it's, it's definitely that kind of game. It takes place over four distinct rounds. Um, the first of them is spring, in which everybody will have eight different trees. They're numbered one through four, and you have two of each, and you will place them on the map. The map is laid out in a grid with eight unique, I guess, topographical areas that will be used in the second half of the game. You will place your trees on intersecting lines on this grid. And what you're trying to do is get the highest total value by adding up the number on your tree. So like a three and a two would be a five value for each column and row on the map. And you get points for doing that. So if you were the highest one in a row with someone else, you get two points. If you're by yourself and nobody contests it, you get three points. And so that's the first half of the game is spring where you put down the trees and summer where you go through every row and column and add it up and see who's ahead. The second half of the game, which is like 75% of the game, because this is where all the actual mechanics happen, is fall and winter. And what you do here is you are going to place this board around the side of the the map and the first player will place it the first time and each round there are eight of them within fall you are going to have the wind blowing in one direction on your turn you'll take a leaf tile play it and it'll have a number on it between one and eight and you will put down that many leaf tokens on the board in the direction the wind is blowing from the tree referenced by the number. This sounds more complicated than it actually is. It's it's really fairly simple. But the idea is you're layering the forest floor with your leaves. And if you want to cover up somebody else's leaves, you can absolutely do that. But you have to pay one extra leaf for every leaf that you cover up. So if you play a six and you try to cover up two other people's leaves, you really only put four leaves on the floor. This is very important later because this is all area control. You're trying to have the most leaves in each of these eight sections. And so early on, you're you know strategically placing stuff throughout. Later on, you're just trying to block people out and stop them from getting control of certain things. There are two very distinct strategies here, and I, I've seen both of them work, but one seems to work better than the other in that you can use your really big numbers early and just put leaves everywhere but you kind of make your target self a target doing that. Or you can use your small numbers and hold your big ones for later. And hopefully the wind blows in the right direction and you have your trees in a good position to do that. So mechanically, it's very simple what you're doing. You're putting leaves out based on the tile you played. But if you did not place your trees very smartly in the first half of the game, you can get kind of stuck. So let's say you put one of your trees at the edge of the map and you did not take the opportunity to blow in a certain direction early in the game, later in the game, you might get stuck blowing off the map where nobody is and you are not going to score any points. So you definitely have to think ahead and try to map this out as much as you can. There is also kind of a trump card you can play. And it's uh, it's a squirrel token. So the game comes with like a little wooden squirrel token. When you play this one, and it counts as a one, you can put the squirrel anywhere like three tiles in front of your tree 
and just put it on top of all the leaves that are there and nobody can ever move it or cover it up. So people tend to save these toward the end of the game and then just, this is my spot, you can never take it kind of a thing. And that's basically it. You do all that and you count it up, see who has a majority. You get five points if you win the majority, four points if you tie, three points if you're second, one point if you tie for second. It's very, very quick. The whole thing is very smooth and intuitive. Takes maybe 45 minutes with a full player count. And I really, really enjoy it. It's cutthroat. It's very tight, but it's very simple. Like the rules take five minutes to show people, especially with all the, you know, the components laid out. The game is very beautiful. All the leaves are a different shape and color that match, you know, what you expect to see in autumn leaves. The little squirrel tokens running around. You have your own little leaf tiles that are shaped like your own leaves. Uh, the the trees themselves are three dimensional, so think like photosynthesis, how the the cardboard comes together. And a lot of people did compare it to photosynthesis. And I don't know the mechanics are super similar. It is a game about trees in the forest, and it is kind of mean. But this one's a little bit more of an area control type of thing, more so than like a victory point hunt. But Despite that, even with the comparisons, I think everybody agreed, including myself, that this game is better than photosynthesis because it is much more consolidated and simple and quick and easy to teach. So I really like this. I'm surprised it hasn't blown up as much as some of these other games have recently. I I feel like it should, <laughs> you know, it is just it's got that perfect combination of it looks really good. The price point isn't crazy. I think you can get it online for like 30 bucks. It is relatively easy to teach and has that nature theme that people really latch on to, regardless of how cutthroat it is. So I'd expect to see this one pop up more and more, hopefully. It is definitely more on the abstract side, and the area control is definitely a core mechanic. So if you don't like the heavy confrontation and you don't like like fighting over space with people, this one may not be for you. But if you like that part of like photosynthesis or Azul or Arboretum or those kind of games, this game is spot on perfect. I definitely recommend checking it out. So for me, Bosk is a buy. I'm happy I picked it up. I will definitely keep this one. I'm holding on to photosynthesis because the family likes it, but I think I like this one better. And if if it wasn't for that, I'd probably replace it with this one. That's a pretty substantial recommendation because photosynthesis kind of owned this category especially with its components and the gameplay so I'm, I'm honestly really shocked about this so someone does not have either game you're recommending bosk over photosynthesis but if they own photosynthesis would you recommend still to pick up bosk i wouldn't recommend owning both i would only recommend picking up bosk if you were like growing cold on photosynthesis and i i feel like that's happens to a lot of people uh, i've spoken to several people who just they own photosynthesis like i do and it's just like eh, it's fine you know and it just it you cool on it over time which happens a lot with these kind of abstract games right and if that's the case bosk might be a much better mm-hmm. you know replacement for that but if you still like photosynthesis if it's a solid place in your collection and everybody plays it i don't know that you need both of these they aren't the same they have different mechanics for sure but they are going to take up a similar space in terms of when you play them and with whom you play them. Uh, so I don't know that you need to own both. I'm going to continue to own both because I think this one's better for my game group. Uh, it's definitely more like emergent in terms of strategy and, and how you think about it. And you can be kind of mean with it. Uh, whereas photosynthesis is a little more um, 
and it's also mean, but just a little more family oriented in terms of presentation. Um, but yeah, I think this is a better game. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about our favorite category. I know yours. If you like civilization games, you should try out these other games. Now for this special episode, we are not talking about a specific game and then trying out other games like it. We are talking about civilization games as a category and then recommending quick, medium, long, and then some special, very long civilization games that you might really love. Right, Anthony? You're a big fan of these. This is probably my favorite category of board games to the point where if a game fails in this category, I'm very disappointed. See last week. So I I think these, I think I like all these games we're going to talk about, but just this genre in particular, when it's done well, it tends to just rise to the top of my list. All right, so let's get started with quick games. All right, so I'm going to pick one that people might raise an eyebrow at, but it is a quick game, and that is The Great Zimbabwe. So The Great Zimbabwe is not your typical civilization game, which they generally are about you know, the Mediterranean civilizations, possibly some Far Eastern civilizations, but usually it's very Eurocentric. This is, however, about Africa and specifically the civilizations and kingdoms that were around the Great Zimbabwe, the World Heritage Site in South Africa. So this game has you basically playing as different tribal leaders that are trying to please the gods by building certain monuments towards them. And you do this by picking up different technologies, building craftsmen, gathering resources, and then creating a larger and larger monuments that generate more points. The point mechanisms here are among the cleverest I've seen in board games. Uh, it The amount of points you have to get to win changes based on which cards you pick up and how you choose to play the game. But also the auction mechanism for who goes first is very unique and clever. And I haven't even seen it in other games before, which seems crazy to me that nobody's borrowed this. In terms of a civilization game, it is fairly abstract, but thematically it is so unique and the cards are very cool and the artwork is, it just stands out as something that you don't see a lot in board games. Uh, so I definitely wanted to include it. The reason I put it on the short list is that this game is surprisingly quick because you really only need like 20, 20, well not 20, but 25 to 35-ish points. At the most, you'll need 40 points to win the game. And that doesn't take a whole ton of time to get to. So depending on the AP in your group, you're looking at one to two hours, possibly a little longer, but I have yet to play longer than two hours with this game. So it is very meaty, dense, compact, lots of cool strategy. The Great Zimbabwe. It is expensive, but it's well worth it. All right, it. so on the quick side of games is a game that has gotten a lot of attention over the years. And this is kind of the spiritual successor of this. Of course, we can talk about Seven Wonders, but for me personally, I want to talk about the far superior, at least in the base game model, Seven Wonders Duel. Now, Seven Wonders Duel is a two-player civilization building game, and why in particular this stands out a little bit more for me when you're talking about civilization games is when you are building these different wonders, you really are selecting what you're adding to your civilization and you are also choosing from the tableau of cards what leaders or technologies or special abilities you want to take. But at the same time, as you're developing those technologies, you're allowing your opponent to gain access to 
typically more advanced or similar technologies. Whereas in Seven Wonders, it's more of the drafting option where things come and go. But here, it's more of a conscious choice on what you build, what you add to your civilization, what technologies, what science. So it's a fantastic quick game. That's Seven Wonders Duel. All right. So moving on to the medium length games, I have Imperial Settlers. And if you looked at BGG, you might be wondering why I put this one in medium and Great Zimbabweans short. Well, Great Zimbabwe tends to play shorter than the 90 to 150 minutes it says. Imperial Settlers tends to play way longer than the 45 to 90 minutes that BGG says. Typically, this game is two to three hours easily. It is definitely a medium length game, and this is for us as heavy Euroers. I know some of you think that's pretty long, but this game is one of my favorite games of all time. It is a tableau builder in which you are playing one of several different civilizations. The base game has... Uh, I think ancient Rome, Egypt, barbarians, and Japan. And then there are three expansions that add additional ones. Some of them real, some of them fantastical. I think most of them fantastical, like the Amazons and Atlanteans. And each of those decks has unique powers and unique synergy that helps you build an engine that is specific to your race. And you will be doing this by generating resources from each of the cards you play and running these different engines, and sometimes attacking each other. General mechanism that everybody interacts with is the drafting, which happens at the beginning of every round. And it's just, I don't know what it is about this game. It always clicked with me from day one. I love it. I've played it dozens and dozens of times. I've played through it solo with all of the different civilizations, including with the campaign, and I absolutely love it. There is a new version, Empires of the North, which I don't believe I've reviewed yet here on this show, but it is also very good and a fair bit shorter because it does streamline a lot of that by removing the drafting. So that is also well worth checking out if you're just looking for something that fits this mechanism. But Imperial Settlers in general, fantastic Civ game that just has a lot going for it and, you know, medium-ish length. All right, for me on the medium length games is Gentes. Now, this was a game that I recently reviewed. It's taking us way, way back to the dawn of civilization and pretty much what you're doing is you are building up different technologies and you're utilizing different elders and professionals and spiritual leaders of your tribe in order to gain the appropriate resources and gain the amount of strength in that particular area to pick up those special abilities and technologies. What's really fun about this game is it not only just utilizes the different aspects and trades of those civilizations, but it also recognizes that these different technologies and buildings and aspects to civilization are going to take time. So time plays a mechanic in this game, which is really a lot of fun and different. So yeah, pick out the best action you can, but it's going to cost you money and time. You can condense that time, but then your people are going to be very tired and then you're not going to be able to do a lot later. The technology really gears up and there's a lot of great set mechanics in this game. And you do feel like your civilization is progressing as you see your different leaders gain power and strength throughout the game. So that is Gentes for our medium game. All right. And then moving to the long stuff, my favorite civilization game is like pure civilization, like thematically reminds me of the video game. And there's a bunch of these. So this was the one that I would recommend out of all of them personally is Nations. 
Nations was designed in 2013, and the design team is not, they weren't like well-known designers. There are four different designers on this game. And the reason it's so unique is that it comes with such immense decks of cards. And I guess that's not unique because Chris will talk about another game here in a second, which has also immense decks of cards. But this particular one, I really like for a couple of reasons. One, you have your own civilization board in front of you and it has a limited number of slots on it. And whenever you purchase a card, you have to place it in one of those slots. If those slots are all full, you have to replace an existing card. You have a limited number of workers that come off and can fill in those spaces, each of them taking up a certain amount of resource allocation that you can produce with your civilization. So you can't just build out this extended engine that keeps growing and generating more stuff, even though that kind of tends to happen as you move from the different eras. There are four different decks of cards, so of course the cards get better as you go, but you still always have that limited amount of space. And you just have to make it work as efficiently as possible with what you have in front of you. It has some war mechanisms where it matters if somebody picks up a war card, you need to be able to beat them on the military strength track to avoid losing whatever amount of stuff is on that war card. And then there are some pretty significantly cool cards in there, like these wonders you can pick up and build that just give you all these benefits. You can go exploring and pick up these cards that generate additional resources. There are leader cards. Most civilizations can only have one leader card, but it often does something very cool. This is a game that takes a long time because there are so many possible combinations to look at, but manages to constrain it to such a degree where you, at any point in time, you're only going to have like five to 10 cards in front of you to work with, and then maybe 15 or 20 in the tableau that you can purchase from. And you have to decide which of those cards is good to add to your tableau to upgrade it and make it better. I really, really, really enjoy this. I feel like the Dynasties expansion is an absolute must add. It gives you a little bit more flexibility in how you use those cards and a lot more civilizations to work with. The only downside of this game and the reason I feel like it kind of failed when it initially launched was that it was $100. <laughs> and it has a lot of cards, but it's not a $100 game. Um, maybe these days it is, but it certainly wasn't six years ago. Uh, you can now get this on Amazon for less than 50 and you should. This is absolutely worth like the 45 bucks you'd pay for it. And in my opinion, still like just one of the best Civ games out there. Well worth checking out as Nations. And for my long game, I'm talking about Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. Now, this had a reprint and even a recent expansion that came out for it. Now, most of the time when you look at civilization games, you're typically looking at a pretty complex board where you're moving pieces around and you are attacking and you're defending and you're building your little civilization up. And it's all very interesting and dynamic, but there really isn't any names or faces to what you're doing and how you're doing those things. So as far as being thematically true to the civilization mechanic and building up your unique civilization through the ages does something phenomenal. It is a wondrous tableau builder that utilizes cards in order to pick your leaders, build up your military, build up your civilization, build up what type of government that you might have in play, all the different technologies, all the different buildings, and then allows you to set 
your own goals with the other competitors in the game. So you are generating a final bonus round to everything that you're doing, not to mention all the wonders. So all in all, through the ages, whether it's the original, but I definitely recommend the new story of Civilization, really provides the most engrossing experience for a Civilization game long term. And especially if you don't have the board game version of it check out the app because the app is fantastic and finally we have a special bonus category for civilization games because unlike pretty much any other game out there civilization games does really really long games exceptionally well so we have two bonus games for you here and i'm going to talk about mega civilization because this was a phenomenal kind of phenomenon when it came out. It was this ridiculous. And I mean, even back in the day, it's still a ridiculous size game where you could play with the largest player count possible and just j- jump down into the minutia of building up a civilization from the kind of like early earliest ages on this grand map to a long long and fruitful civilization so whether you play with five players or you play the ridiculous 18 player version of the game that they say goes up to 720 minutes but we all know that where they're getting that from it is a phenomenal outstanding epic situation and it's probably the biggest civilization game out there it's mega civilization yeah yeah, you beat me on this one. Well, maybe, I guess, <laughs> generally speaking. For me, I was originally I was going to go with like Civilization, the board game, like Sid Meier's with all the expansions, which is like four or five hours, right? It's pretty long. But then you did Mega Civilization. So I was like, well, I got to drop Twilight Imperium on this, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how else am I going to match that length? So TI4, uh, the most recent version of Twilight Imperium, is just, it's an epic explosion of a board game it has all the x's we talk about 4x this is 4x incarnate you are expanding and trying to complete different objectives in the galaxy not necessarily to conquer everybody although sometimes that might be what you're trying to do but to develop basically get victory points so that you can become the next leader of the galaxy the old ones are gone you are trying to become the next one The game is guided by secret and public objectives that kind of push you in certain directions. You have various technologies you can pick up and build out your tech tree and learn new abilities that change like your strategy and how you focus on things. You have individual civilization abilities that kind of give you a huge edge over other people in certain areas, but maybe a disadvantage in others. It is one of the most impressive board gaming experiences I've ever had. And I've had a chance to play it a few times now. And it's, while not quite as long as Mega Civilization, uh, it's up there. It's a good eight to ten hours with a full six players. And it is a game I hope to try to play at least every three or four months just because it is that good, but also that long. So three or four times a year is about as good as I can hope for. So that is Twilight Imperium 4. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a proper place at the table.
You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.